Well, hello and welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. This podcast is all about helping you deliver e-commerce wow. And to help us do just that, today I am chatting with my very special guest, Peter Murphy-Lewis from Strategic Pete, uh, which is one of the most memorable names we've had for a little while, Strategic Pete. Uh, We're going to be talking about decoding the customer journey through research. And of course, before we get into that... Let me tell you about the newsletter which we send out every week. If you're a regular listener to the show, just go sign up. Go to ecommercepodcast.net or even if you're a new listener, go check it out. Just sign up. You get the newsletter every week with all the links and stuff. They come straight to your inbox automatically. No hassle, no drama. You never miss anything then. So it's worth doing. Go check it out at ecommercepodcast.net. And of course, this show is brought to you by the wonderful e-commerce cohort. This is our membership group for uh, group, a membership group for all you e-commerces out there. If you're like me and you're involved in the world of e-commerce, uh, I do this podcast, which is awesome. But I also run e-commerce businesses because that's awesome as well. Do a bit of e-commerce coaching, and so we decided, you know what, we should set up a little a little group for all as e-commerces called e-commerce cohort. Come and join in. We have expert workshops every month delivered by experts, uh, which is always, which is why we call them expert workshops, I suppose, uh, which is great all around the topics of e-commerce. Plus, one of the key bonuses, you get to watch me record these podcasts live. We live stream them into the cohort. So we'll tell you in the newsletter who's coming up. You get to come in, watch and ask the guests your questions, uh, which is just wonderful. Well, I ask them. You put it in the comments and I ask them. You don't actually come onto the show. Let's just be super clear. Uh, but you get the chance to ask the guests a question. So check that out at ecommercecohort.com. Be great to see you in there. Okay, so let's talk about today's guest. This dynamic entrepreneur took a leap into the South American business world, conquering the media landscape with notable achievements like working at CNN, no less, and hosting his very own TV show. Now, as a highly successful marketing consultant and podcast host, Always nice to talk to a fellow podcaster. He brings his expertise to the forefront, shedding light on the captivating realm of the customer journey and the transformative power of qualitative and quantitative research. Yes, there's, there's two words aren't easy to say together, I've just realized. Qualitative and quantitative research. Peter, great to have you on the show, man. Been looking forward to this one. How are we doing today, good sir? Wonderful. Really excited to uh, chat about customer journey and quantitative and qualitative, also a challenging <laughs> word. It's, um, it... Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, isn't it? We'll just call it the Q&Q uh, data. <laughs> QQ data. We'll, sure, we'll abbreviate it, maybe. Uh, so how did you, um, well, let's, let me ask you a little uh, more obvious question first. Whereabouts in the world are you? Today, I'm in Wichita, Kansas, in the middle of the U.S. I spend Ooh. about four to six months out of the year in South America and the mm. rest of the time somewhere in the U.S., but my home base is inside of a zoo, and I'm not joking. I live inside <laughs> of a zoo in Wichita, Kansas. My mum used to say my bedroom was like a zoo, but I'm not sure that's what you mean. I think you mean a proper zoo. It's true. I have zebras that are about uh, 20 meters from my kitchen window. No way. That's awesome. So you're like... Um, what was that movie? So we bought a zoo with Matt Damon. You're like the personification of that guy, right? I'm like the fat version of that. (laughs) How did you end up owning a zoo? Uh, I didn't actually buy it. I, uh, the story's 
interesting. In 2019, uh, I was running a pretty successful travel online business in South America. And uh, there was some civil unrest that happened in October of 2019. And it was so powerful that they burned down 43 subway stations in one night. And I called my business partner on day two and I said, you need to get back to Santiago. I think we're going to have to close down our four offices in four different cities, close down all of our brands, sell our inventory and lay off about 50 teammates. And he came back and we made that decision. And then about three weeks later, my wife and my son and I uh, left that country and moved back to the US. And when I was backpacking around around the United States with my three-year-old at the time, I visited the zoo. And the owner of the zoo called me a month later and said, will you come take over the marketing department for six months as an interim director? So I created the marketing team and helped scale that. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You got to do that with your... And they gave me a house. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. And what amazing memories for your son. Uh, I mean, that's not... Especially in the middle of COVID. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a usual thing to do as a kid, but that's awesome. That's really cool. So you're enjoying living at the zoo, I take it? Yeah, it's fantastic. I can't imagine leaving whenever my wife's like, maybe we should buy a house. And I said, is the house going to have zebras in its front yard? I said, let's, <laughs> let's hold off on that mortgage. I'm, I'm fine here. <laughs> Why do I need to do that? Why do I need a mortgage? That's incredible. So you're sort of split between the States and between... South America. South America. You're currently mm-hmm. in Wichita, Kansas, um, yeah. and uh, which is right in the middle, isn't it, from memory? Uh, I've it not is. actually been to Wichita. I have been to Kansas a couple of times, but I, I remember seeing it on a map. Uh, so I've got a sort of vague idea of where it is. Um, and so you've obviously been in marketing a little while. I mean, you've been marketing zoos and companies in South America. So you've, you've had a few things that you've, have you always been involved in that sort of thing? You know, my first company was in 2007, and my business partner and I didn't have any previous experience. I'd never worked in marketing, he, he, neither. So we just kind of fell into what was natural. You know, he mm. did the he did the website. I created, you know, kind of the customer journey and our marketing and our and our copy and then our products and so forth. And then he eventually took over operations and HR, and I stayed in marketing and sales, and uh, we grew that quickly uh, into three different brands and then kind of got into my, got into TV and then got into fractional CMO work. And since basically since 2007, I kind of built my career around marketing with having it without any experience. And I, I attribute that to the topic that I think we're going to talk about, which is understanding your customer. And that mm. goes back, Matt, to the fact that I studied sociology in undergrad. And my first job out of college was creating surveys for a national survey, I believe it's around religion and values. And so uh, I wasn't a particularly religious person, uh, but I had to learn how to ask questions in semi-structured interviews to determine how belief systems were changing in the US. And this was 2002. And I really think that that fundamental kind of uh, 101 into how to understand how people think when they don't know how to say what they think and believe mm-hmm. helps me today in the e-com space. No doubt. I mean, how old were you when you were doing those sort of surveys? So this was 20 years ago. I was 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah. What an introduction to sort of the, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're just, you're, you're a young lad starting out in the, in the workforce, the same age as my son, ironically. Um, 
And there are certain things that I think are good things to do at that sort of age. Sales would be one of them, but this is all, because you're learning how to talk to people. You're learning how to draw information out of them. And they're sort of life skills you don't really get taught uh, in school. And so I imagine um, this was quite, quite eye-opening in a lot of ways. Very much so, very much so. And and I think what was, what was eye-opening about it is walking into the job you think that coming up with questions is going to be easy, but coming up with questions that people don't know even how to answer, and you then have to interpret those answers into something that is close to uh, qualitative evidence that you could at least form a hypothesis around was a challenge. And then Matt, my, my, my second job isn't much further than that, although people be like, you know, that's social work, that's social work. My next job was I worked with the homeless population mm. speaking Spanish, so Spanish-speaking homeless population that had AIDS in Boston, and I had to help them help themselves. And that so understanding homeless people's difference for me. I've never been homeless. Yeah. Understanding Latino, illegal, non-documented immigrants is not my background and then mm. understanding people with aids so learning how to ask questions was you know kind of my the first three years of my professional life before i became a marketer wow what a foundation um i mean i sound they both sound like pretty tough hard jobs but i mean almost what a gift you know in terms of uh the the stuff that you would have learned from that so let's fast forward then 20 years let's take all the learning that you've you've had and what an introduction um and let's sort of throw this into the, the topic of e-commerce, um, if we can. Uh, let's start at the top. Customer journey. Just explain what it is, what you mean by that, and, and why we should care. You know, I thought about the, de the definition before we jumped on, and I said, should I Google it? Or should I just go what comes from the gut? And and I didn't Google it, even though well I've done. never formally been trained. I said, for me, it's basically the process where someone comes in touch with your brand and you follow them from the first time they hear about you or they need you or think about you until they decide they're done with you. Mm. And that may never end if they're a mm -hmm. happy customer. The customer journey never ends. Um, and it may end really quickly if your first impression is bad, if you're bad at ads, if you spend all your money on ads instead of thinking about your brand, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't listen to them and they walk away. So uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of the first impression until they're done with you is the way that I would describe it to like my dad. <laughs> that's a really but it's a very i mean I, I can get my head around that i understand that it's not complex and what i like about it peter is there's no three letter acronyms uh in the middle of it which we we love in in e-commerce really yeah, um, we overuse so, those. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's way too many um so the customer journey then from first impressions until the grave fall into a better expression that whole time that they spend with you um, and obviously different customers have different lengths of journeys with you, different experiences and so on and so forth. Uh, and I mean, it's an obvious statement to make. Um, and I, I guess in some respects, this is a, a silly question. But it, again, I don't want to make any assumptions here. Why should I care about that as an e-commerce entrepreneur? Sure, and I, I have been asked this question many times. So it's the reason why I'm asking. Because there is a belief in some circles where it's just like, I don't care about the customer journey. I want them in, I want to sell them stuff, and I want them gone. 
because it's a high volume business, you know, the customers come and go. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that, you know, any founder or CTO or customer support or VP of revenue should care about this because one, the more advocates you have of your brand, your product, your service, the less you spend on ads. So mm -hmm. right away, there's a ROI, there's a return yeah. on investment that's just basic understanding. You can maximize profits um, even just with that one person, right? So if you're paying attention to what they want more of and what they're willing to pay more for, you're you're making more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I, I usually usually the the thing that I walk into as a consultant the first thing that I see that's kind of a blind spot for founders or CEOs or executives is they haven't talked to their customer in a long time. As you grow, you get two, three, four, unfortunately, sometimes five steps or layers away from your customer. And, and people often think your customer once they purchase. So like you want to see the survey afterwards. I'm talking about the survey when that you ask them how they first heard about you. Mm -hmm. So like I have, I have a, um, a new client that I'm working with today and, you know, he says, what's, what's the first thing that you want to do? Do you want to interview my team? Do you want to, you know, look at my, uh, profit, my profit and loss? I said, no, no, no. Just every single new customer you have that purchases, whether it's their $49 product or their $4.99 product, I said, I want to be on the phone call. And we're going to act like it's a chargeback service or we're going to act like it's a customer support. And then I just want to ask them two or three questions. And then you got to do that every stage along the way with mm -hmm. the person who refunds, the person who returns and so forth. And I just think if you set that system up, um, you're, you're, you're setting your system, your, your company up for success in the long term. After you do it for, you know, the first three months, I think you can go back to doing it once a year. It's not any different than, you know, I've, I've heard the story that Jeff Bezos uh, makes every single customer, every single employee work one week out of the year in customer service. I don't really think it's any different than that. You should think about your customer journey at least once a year. So uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more um, uh, on the whole customer journey thing for, for a number of reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, I'm intrigued by... This is your, you're going into a new company. Your first response is not to talk to the staff, it's talk to the customers, which I, I actually quite like. That's quite nice. Um, did I understand it right that you're doing those calls with the CEO or you're, you're doing them solo? If the CEO has time, I would love to have them join. Normally, they're too busy. If they're bringing, they're bringing me in to help with something, you know, they're either putting out fires or they're letting people go or they're trying to scale a team and they don't have time. If they will, I would love them to. But I do record them and then I highlight those options and I go through their case studies and do new case studies. But mm -hmm. like right now with this new client, I'm just doing it essentially with their, their customer support rep to make sure that we're not getting chargebacks and so forth. Okay. Um, what do you mean by a chargeback? You know, like uh, people who will sign up for the product and then they'll use it for seven days. They'll download uh, free data right. or download the service and mm -hmm. then uh, they'll tell their their American Express card, hey, I didn't pay for this. Or I didn't want this or they'll, they'll they'll fight it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, fair enough. Um, so you're calling new customers. So you get five new customers that day. You're on the phone with them regardless of what they purchased. And then you said you're asking them two or three questions. Everybody listening to this has gone, what are those two or three questions you're asking them? Yeah, so I usually go in 
with an a, a, a bigger objective. So okay. I, I try to ask the the executive team i said how certain on a scale of one to a hundred are you that you are charging the right price for a product b product c product you know d product and generally you know they'll say 80 or 90 percent on one 50 percent um uh confident on another so i'll go into especially the products where they aren't confident and i will assume that they are undercharging right right away that okay. there's something that the customer be willing to pay two three four x for and so my first questions will seem pretty basic kind of 101 sociology but about my fifth question is going towards the pricing so my first question would be like you know uh how did you first hear about us and then i'll shut up and don't give them options you know like yeah. this is this is this is something that hubspot will teach you over and over, don't force your new customers to tell you um, how they heard about you so you could put it into an Excel. Yeah. Take an open-ended answer and I do that. And then the next question is, why did you decide to reach out, either contact us or buy us? What was the decision? What, what, what was the number one reason? You have to use the word, what was the number one reason that you decided to buy? And then, then from there, it becomes a lot more uh, loose-ended. And from there, I'll ask why, 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 and what was it about? How did you hear about that feature? Um, did, where did who did you compare us against? But my last question would be like, what is one thing that's inside of our product that you've seen so far that you wish you either that that you wish you had, or that you wish that it was better that would make your job easier? Um, and then they say they usually have something in mind. Mm. And then I'll say how much more would you be willing to pay for that? And then they'll tell you right there. They'll tell you right there. And then the very next thing you do is you take that information, you test it in ads, you test it in cold email, you test it on your e-com platform, you create a different name of a product for the exact same thing, charge the price, but include that new element. Now you have also ideas for tiers for pricing. Yeah. So Matt, I, I, I did this with, with um, a membership client that I have that sells memberships, uh, annual memberships for a product that's about $49 a year. And I walked in and I said, you know, like your NPS score is through the roof. Like everybody loves everything. You're, you're definitely undercharged. He said, no, you, if you do that, we're going to have churn. Then we're going to have people complaining online. People are going to complain in our community. And I said, no, I have a feeling that, you know, 20% of your customers, 10% of your customers be willing to pay more. We did this process that I'm explaining with you. Then we, t we did it with about 20 calls, 15 mm -hmm. calls. And then we turned it into a survey on Google Forms. We didn't have to pay for anything expensive. We didn't go type form. We just did a simple Google Forms following the exact same system. And now we have a VIP subscription service that sells for $299 one day out of the year and it sells out. Wow. And those were people that we were charging $49 for to, wow. you know, two years ago. That's incredible, isn't it? So this is you, you $299. So you've six, six fold increase on the price just because you called the customers and asked questions. And I assume that the difference between the two memberships was pretty straightforward to deliver. Uh, the deliverability is essentially the same because especially because about 50% of the people don't even use their membership. They don't log in. They don't ask for calls. So, I mean, you, you, you just, you just went from 49 to 299 and still half your people don't use your product. Wow. That's incredible. 
Yeah, fascinating. And all this stems because you've asked the customer the question rather than just assuming. Um, or rather, I think one of the cop-outs that I guess I see a lot um, at the moment is people... There's a lot of conversation about interpreting data, right? Letting data guide decisions. So you split test, you let data guide decisions. So you start off with a hypothesis, you throw it out there. Did A beat B, yes or no? Uh, if it did, great, let's run it. If it didn't, let's keep what we've got. And we like that because one, it's quantitative. quantitative. Um, yeah, it's not working, is it? Um, and two, I think it requires, in some respects, less effort because I don't have to talk to the client. I think a lot of people get into e-commerce so they don't actually have to talk to the end client. I agree 100%. Yeah, so here you are telling people to talk to the end client. I just wonder how many people listening to the show are just breaking out into a cold sweat right now. But there's... There's some very real benefits to doing that, one of which you've just highlighted with that membership company. Yeah. Yeah. I would tell them if they're terrified of doing that, don't worry. Call a 20-year-old sociologist who's taken two years of sociology classes, and they can listen to this, transcribe it, and do it for you. <laughs> Go get a student. That's, uh, that's what we tend to say. We say that a lot in our office. We need someone to do this. I was going to go get a student. We live in a student town, so um, students are great, you know, and, uh, well, most of the time they're great. Um, so <laughs> I like that. Go get a 20-year-old sociology student. Is this, so let's take a few different companies and let's think about how this could work practically, um, Peter. So the companies you're going into, like that membership company, are going to be what I would call an SMB, a small, medium-sized business, right? They're going to have... Anyway, I guess from five to 20 employees, something around that, they're gonna be turning over, I guess, half a million up to sort of five million online, right? So um, in those size companies, you're, you're talking to and you're training the customer service staff, is that right? I'm not really training. I'm just joining the first phone calls with them. And then I'm taking that information, which is very qualitative, right? Like the, I couldn't prove anything on it. I couldn't write a master's thesis on it, but if, if you're intuitive, if you have some emotional intelligence, you can take that information and take it back to the CEO and say, some changes need to be done. Like if you take to him 10 calls where five of them say, hey, you know, I would pay 3x for this feature. And then you say to him, then you say to him, like, um, how hard is it for you to deliver this feature? And he goes, not hard at all. Well, now you got his attention, right? Mm. So, and then customer service is can then be trained to take that you know that initial process into something that could be checked quarterly um or once a year type of thing but you've run from there and then you start designing new prices and programming around that initial customer journey and then you go back and and you go back and you check it again okay um so let's talk about then the small business so what a couple of the young married couple they're doing a side hustle they're working on the kitchen table um two hours of an evening before they crash out on the couch um how how would you how how should they approach this type of thing i would i would start off if they don't have much time i would start off by asking them do you have an idea when you have a happy customer a happy buyer um, over your unhappy customers. Either they were on your page for 10 minutes and they purchased right away, or they added two things to their cart faster than anybody else. And everyone has like, kind of like, yeah, I think that is. I said, okay, 
are you then are you willing to give them half of that product back if they'll spend 20 minutes with you on the phone yeah mm -hmm. of course if that information is going to help you sell more either sell more volume, improve your margins, whatever that is, increase your revenue, whatever it is. And I would just start with that. If they have two hours on a Thursday and two hours on a Sunday, do two calls and give that person something back that they put in their cart and try to figure out why that person is hyper happy and why they came yeah. to you. And then find a way to uniquely creative, creatively ask them what they would be willing to pay more for. Of course, those first questions, right? How did they hear about you? Why did they choose you? Who else yeah. did they shop around with? How were they solving the problem before they met you? Yeah. No, it's very uh, critical questions. I've, uh, go on. I've got one other thing that, and this might not apply, you know, to your neck of the woods, nor the US, um, because Starbucks has been around long enough that we might not remember what life was like before Starbucks. But <laughs> myself coming from South America, when I first moved to South America in 2023, there was no Starbucks. Mm. So I lived in a world where I went and sat at a coffee shop, sat down at a table, someone brought a menu over to me, then left me for 15 minutes, came back over, asked me what I wanted, then brought me back a coffee in 15 minutes, never knew my name, charged me $4 for a coffee. And that and it took me 30 minutes mm -hmm. and it was loud and there were people smoking around the bathrooms weren't clean starbucks people complain about paying the four dollars for a cup of water a hot cup of water but from what i think they did from the customer journey point of view is they thought about what is the most expensive ongoing cost that a coffee shop has and it's their real estate. People are sitting down and waiting for their coffee to be delivered for 30 minutes. And they remove that and they make you go stand at a counter and then they, and you still willing to pay the same amount of money. Mm. So you also need to ask in your question, what is the one thing that you least care about in my service or my product that I'm giving you and determine how expensive it is and remove it. This is not just about adding things on in the customer service. This is also removing. That's really interesting because you're right. I think it's not like you say, it's not just about what you add, it's what you can take away, isn't it? And what you, um, what you're doing that current, currently is not working. I think I've mentioned this before on, on EP. I've definitely mentioned it on podcasts before, and I, 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 I've been on so many, I just can't remember who I've told this to. So if, you're, if I'm repeating myself, dear listener, I'm terribly sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking of the, the time when we had a, at the time we had a beauty company, and we sold beauty products, well-known branded beauty products. And we, we looked at what our competitors were doing and they would send out the products in a jiffy bag, right? A, a padded envelope. Uh, I don't know if you call them jiffy bags. We call them jiffy bags. But the, um, in these sort of padded envelopes, they got, they got sent out. And so we were like, well, let's just do one better. Let's send everything out in an actual box. So that, you know, it just feels a bit more ostentatious, I suppose, a bit more premium, a bit more... Uh, you know, like I've, I've cared. And actually when you get your skincare products, the boxes themselves that they come in are much more likely not to get bashed up. Even though I know you're gonna take them out of the box and just throw them straight in the bin, you still want them to look good before you throw them in the bin, right? And so we sent them out in the box. That was one of our sort of differentiation points. And then we started talking to clients 
And we started asking them about why they bought skincare. Why? Because the, the average order on our website was, let, uh, let's say it was about 80 bucks, right? About $80, 80, 90, maybe $90. Um, it was about $90. Um, and I was kind of curious as to why people would be willing to spend that much money on a moisturizer and a cleanser, right? And you understand I come from a very male sort of background that... I'm I'm upset if I spent two quid on a bar of soap, right? Let alone 80 bucks on this good moisturizer and cleanser. And so I was very, very curious. And the more we talked to customers, the more we understood actually what they were buying was a treat for themselves. They were, they were buying themselves a gift. Um, and this is how they saw their purchase. It was like, this is, it's good for me. I'm treating myself. These were the kind of words that we, we were hearing. And so what we did was we thought, we need to change our packaging because our, our brown box, although it was better than our competitors, was still a brown box. And no one wants a gift in a brown box. And when you open it, you get those sort of plastic bubbles. And we, um, and we thought, everyone's getting, we should definitely be more environmentally conscious than we are at the time. So we needed to whip our game. Clients wanted us to be more um, environmentally conscious. And so we're like, right, let's kill two birds with one stone. And so what we did was we changed the box from being a standard box to um, it had an extra flap on it. If you if you can kind of you had to take lift bottom flap up and then the inside flap would also come up. But on this inside flap, we wrote this lovely message. We had it printed on there, just extolling the virtues of being human, for example. Um, and as they opened one, it felt like they were unwrapping something. Do you see what I mean? It was just a simple thing that we did. We then wrapped the entire thing inside in tissue paper. So there was some nice tissue paper inside that you had to unwrap as well. And then we took out the plastic bubbles and we we actually, we tried different things in there, but the thing that we sort of settled on was popcorn. We had this brainwave one day that we'd put popcorn in as packaging. And we tried 20 different types of popcorn, uh, but we figured it out. We had popcorn machines in the warehouse going 10 to the dozen, you know, making popcorn. And, our return purchase rate shot through the roof when we did this. And when you think about what I did, I put a flap on a box, added a bit of tissue paper, and I changed the plastic bubbles to popcorn. But our, our return purchase rate, I mean, it, it went way higher than the industry average, just from understanding um, that the customers were buying a gift. So we took away something, we replaced it with something else which matched their values. And lo and behold, it, it worked really well for us. I I like I like the example. I like the example because it required uh, some testing. I'm wondering, did you get that just from you guys playing around with it, or did you get it from talking to somebody? No, we talked to a lot of customers. I mean, the popcorn came. The popcorn idea was not a customer generated idea. That was. Um, that came from a brainstorming session I was leading with the team when we were like, what can we use as an alternative? What came from the customers talking to them was not the tissue paper or the extra flap on the box, was our understanding changed in terms of we understood a lot better why they were buying what they were buying. Um, and it was this use of words gift and treat, uh, treating myself, I'm buying a gift for myself, spoiling myself, you know, those kind of phrases. That I would never have got had we not spoke to the customer. Mm. You, it, that makes me think of uh, how I think about adding things or taking things away when whenever I'm looking at either 
Google My Business reviews for a restaurant or some type of service and or Amazon, mm. I always look at the reviews and I look at the categories because Google and Amazon group reviews into categories. So like, let's say you're, no, you know, you're buying uh, beard cream. Well, it groups all of those reviews together and it says, you know, um, breaks. Well, yeah. it, it might say that the bottle doesn't break or that it's firm or that it, uh, the shoe fits too big, it's too large. So I always pay attention to those categories and you can think about what you're focusing on from a branding point of view by the number of reviews mm -hmm. in that category. Think of those categories, come up with synonyms around with it and then package it in different ways. That'll also tell you what you can take away, right? Like yeah. let's say that the most expensive thing that you have in your beauty product, Matt, um, is the packaging. And none of your reviews, you know, you got 5,000 reviews and none of them say packaging. Well, then you need to think, well, maybe I need to do something a little bit more in depth because my packaging is really expensive and it's not showing up yeah. in any of my reviews. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point, isn't it? You, you reminded me of a chap we've had on the podcast, Norm, uh, who, uh, Norm Farrar, we were talking about Amazon. And one of the things that he does is he goes through the Amazon reviews for a product. And I think he gave the example from memory of a kitchen knife. Uh, you know, like a chef's knife. And he was like, you know, you could go on there and find one for like 20, 30 bucks. Look at the reviews. Look at what people are saying. Look at what's missing. Look at how you can improve the product based on the reviews. He'll go then and get a knife manufactured, adding the, the bits in the reviews and taking the bits away that they're complaining about in the reviews. He'll put it on Amazon for 130 bucks and he'll clean up, right? Uh, and that's his whole thinking is is sort of going through the reviews like that and just taking that data, throwing a product on and seeing what happens. Uh, yeah, clever, isn't it, in a, in a lot of ways? Yeah. So we've got some, you've given us some great questions to ask uh, um, people. Um, what sort of workflow should we be thinking about? You know, in what sort of system? I think you use the word system when we when you started talking about this. What sort of system should we be thinking about as a company setting up here to help us do this, do it well, and do it continually? I would say if you're, you know, a mom and pop company that has at least a thousand dollars a month coming in, that you need to think about what your objective is and what mm -hmm. is your anti-objective, right? So if your objective is revenue, what's your what, what's the worst thing that could happen if you get that objective? You know, your review average goes down, you quit getting positive reviews, and then you need to create a semi-structured interview process in that customer journey for you to determine how you're going to get to that objective without actually doing the, the, the opposite as well. Right. That's where I would start. If you're a successful e-com business, you know, and, and you're doing half a million and, and you're you're profitable, um, I think you this is even easier for you to do. You can you're going to get information more quickly. Your customer journey is much more sophisticated. You have the analytics, you have the Google analytics, you have the paid analytics, right? You have the review analytics. And then you just as an executive or the owner, you need to come in and you need to get your hands dirty for a week. Yeah. And build out the pro build out the process before you jump in, right? Which is related to the objective. When I I I I I write about customer journey and I talk about customer journey enough at conventions and so forth, people will reach out to me and they'll send me their survey, and um, and the very first thing that I'll say is, "What is your goal?" 
-hmm. they haven't prepared their semi-structured survey with mm -hmm. a goal in mind. They've asked a bunch of questions that they can already get from their existing data. Like, mm -hmm. uh, are you a happy customer? Well, I can tell from my churn <laughs> data. Don't waste a question. Are you a yeah. happy data yeah. uh, customer, right? Don't ask if on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you going to recommend? Like, use that for a different moment, right? You mm -hmm. only have a couple couple questions to get to it. Then once you have fine-tuned that that process. Now you need to turn it into something that you do at least once a year, almost like an MPS um, review. So this is not something you're doing all the time or the team aren't doing this on a regular basis. It's just like, what, one week out of the year, I'm just calling 20, 30 people. That's what I would do. And I would mainly think about it when you have a, uh, when you think that a product is either underperforming or that you have a new goal and you're not certain about how to do it. Right. So if you have a new goal around a new territory or about uh, modifying your product or lowering your prices or whatever it is, you need to talk to people first. You need to get over that, uh, that the fear factor, the analysis paralysis of too much data, not enough data. Just go yeah. to the person. But the key is the questions. Right. But I mean, I, I, I feel like the, there's enough out there on Google that you can dissect what to do and what not to do based on what we've been chatting about today. Yeah, totally. And chat GPT will write them for you, to be fair. The, um, sure. I'm intrigued here, actually, because uh, one of my e-commerce companies is a supplement company, right? Health supplement company. And we have been talking internally about the packaging that the supplements come in, okay? And changing that packaging, because like everybody, we're trying to be more um, uh, environmentally sustainable we're thinking about the environment a lot more now the packaging we have is very good in the sense that it is um it's sort of like a plastic type product made from cane sugar which makes it biodegradable in about 10 years so it's actually quite good it's also recyclable um so the packaging in itself has got some good credentials and i think we tell the story well on the website but when you look at a picture of it it still looks like white plastic and we're kind of thinking do we want to change it so I've thought about glass, for example, and the guys in the fulfillment warehouse are like, there's no way we're sending stuff out in glass because it's a nightmare internationally, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all kinds of things going on. And we've been batting around tins and refill pouches and all kinds of things in the office. What I'm thinking here, listening to you talk, um, is before I make any further decisions, I need to get on the phone to about 20, 30 customers over the next week and, and get some feedback, right? I would. And I, I don't know. This go, This goes back to our very first thing that we talked about where I worked in surveys with people about their religious beliefs. Mm. I don't know if people are going to be able to answer the question that is going to actually help you determine if it's going to impact their behavior after you make a decision. I think that I would probably go about your question in a roundabout way by asking on a scale of one to 10, how ecological do they consider themselves? Mm -hmm. um, and then I would ask them if, if they answer, you know, like seven, eight, nine, or 10, then I would ask them how that impa impacts you in your day to day. And I would ask them a couple more extended that would break out there because you're going to get a lot of answers in the survey, if you ask them up front, that actually isn't true based on you're not going to see an impact on the behavior. Right. And I think that that's it's because it's trendy. It's because sometimes we don't even under, under understand our unconscious uh, and our subconscious why we're purchasing, what mm -hmm. our behaviors are. 
right? I mean, even you and I as marketers, we 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 buy stuff on Black Friday and mm. we shouldn't fall for those, but we still do it. <laughs> Every so, year, yeah, so, yeah. 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 And I still, I still, you know, like I consider myself sustainable. I still buy uh, uh, a styrofoam cup. And if you asked me why, I can't answer why. There's something mm. deeper than that. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I, I think you're right. I think there's a real interesting one, isn't there, between our subconscious thinking and our actual conscious thinking. And our conscious thinking is what we say. Our subconscious thinking is what we do, how we act, how we behave. And so I like what you're saying there, because actually the questions are, I'm asking you questions more about your subconscious, about how you act and behave rather than what you. So I think if I said to somebody, um, are you, do you try and live a, you know, sustainable life? Well, they're going to say yes, aren't they? Because why would they say no? Because they come across as the bad guy straight away, don't they? If they, if I ask mm -hmm. a question like that, so I think I like what you it, say about you the phrasing all, of it. In, in, at least in the U.S., where we're not nearly as advanced, you know, from a sustainable point of view, you know, like I would say, we're light years away from from Europe. Uh, for, in the U.S., it's it's more about the image and how we feel from when people think we're sustainable. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like this this brand, I think it's called like Love. Let me see real quick. Lo love your melon. Okay. Love, love you your melon. melon. Love your melon is a brand that um, does not take any profits. It gives away, it's a charitable NGO that gives away all of its profits to kids with cancer. I'm 99% mm. sure that's it. Like, from, so for me, wearing that is more about other people knowing that I'm buying that type of product. Yeah. So, and, and, and I don't think that that's, you know, uh, I don't think that that can't translate across to other countries. There's all some, mm. there's also some, some imagery around it. So if that's the path you're going to go because you believe in it, which is great for you, Matt, also make sure that it lines up for an emotional benefit for the person who might not truly be sustainable, but it makes them feel better that they're supporting you. Yeah, that's really powerful. Really powerful. I'm going to ponder that, uh, Peter, and I'm going to think that through a little bit. Like, how would I how would I phrase those questions? I guess one of the questions would be, um, I'd have to test it out on a few people. I, one of the things that's come into my mind is, would you leave the 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 bottle of the current bottle of the health supplement? Would you leave it on your kitchen side, or would you put it in a cupboard? Um, and what would your reasoning behind that be? Like, would you try and hide this or would you be okay with it being out and trying to understand that might be uh, quite interesting. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. We're not trying to solve my, solve my uh, packaging issues for my health supplement company. Uh, <laughs> they've been going a long time. They will carry on, I'm very sure. Um, so this, going back to what you said, having a clear objective and anti-objective, I have to be honest with you, I've not heard this phrase anti-objective uh, that much. Um, and I quite like that. So... Just explain what you mean by the objective and anti-objective a bit more. Let's get super clear on that. So it's the first time it's ever come out of my mouth. So it's gonna, uh, I'm gonna, you heard it here I'm first, gonna, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> bumble and jumble and 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 scramble around to come up with it. I'm borrowing it from, I'm borrowing it from a book that I read in the last year, and I'm not gonna be able to credit who it was, but these, what they were talking about was your ideal client and they said what what would have to happen that's so negative that you wouldn't want to also work with that ideal client 
So it's basically thinking about who is your ideal spouse, yeah. but what's one pet peeve that you would have about that? that there's no way that you would want to marry that ideal spouse. The exact same thing with a revenue goal, and 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 what's the, what would you not? What would be a veto for you to go after that revenue goal? And you need to take that into consideration when you're mapping out, you know, your 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 objective in that customer journey. So let, mm. let's just say, you know, like my my objective with selling more supplements and making them more sustainable um, is that I'm making a bigger impact um, in the world and in my carbon footprint, right? But my my anti-objective around that let's say that i still do that and my revenue goes up um it makes it less likely that people are going to recommend me and that has to do with x y and z or mm -hmm. uh, it creates a huge amount of operational stress stress on my manager and that might make my manager leave right yeah. because my manager yeah. is now going to have to go uh to china and visit 17 factories in the next year and they're going to leave me yeah yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I, I like this being so. For you, um, starting off with this clear objective and anti-objective, uh, understanding what it is that you want what, and what it is you're not prepared to to lose. Um, mm -hmm. at, you know, with, with the beginning is is the critical part because that guides the questions. Mm -hmm. Well, in the in the example of the subscription service that I mentioned, right? You know, they went from forty nine dollars and they created a VIP product. Their, one of their concerns is that they were going to be they were going to be seen as uh, as like an elitist brand. And you know, this is this is a company that sells fifteen thousand subscriptions at the forty nine dollar. So mm -hmm. if they start playing around with something that's two ninety nine, that could change their perception that they're a blue collar that they're made for everybody. And you, yeah. you need to think about that. Well. That didn't happen. We achieved it and we were able to map that out. Fantastic. Fantastic. Listen, Peter, I am aware of time. I'm aware that it is flying by at a thousand miles an hour, uh, as it always does when you talk to really interesting people. And I feel like, as always, I'm, I've got a list of questions. My question list is longer now than when we started, uh, which is always good. Um, but if people listening to the show want to reach out, if they want to connect with you, maybe hire you or just maybe got some questions about questions, I suppose. What's the best way for people to do that? LinkedIn's the best place. Just uh, search Peter Murphy Lewis. I'm pretty sure you're the only person you're going to find, at least based in the U.S. or in Chile. Um, and you can also visit my website, strategicpeat.com. If you want to come see me with the zebras, just come to Wichita, Kansas and ask for Strategic Pete. <laughs> strategic Pete. Uh, just go to Wichita and ask for Strategic and they'll let you know. Just follow the light road down there. Uh, next time I'm in Kansas, I'm going to stop by because that just sounds like a f I just want to see the zoo. I genuinely do. I'm really curious. Uh, but listen, Listen, uh, Pete, thank you, man, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom um, and telling us about the brand name of your hat and all that sort of stuff and about your zoo. It's thoroughly enjoyable and I, I feel like I've learned a lot and I, I always enjoy learning. So thank you for coming on and thank you for just being an absolute legend. My pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Well, we will, of course, link to Peter's information in the show notes, which you can get along for free with the transcript at ecommercepodcast.net, or it'll come straight to your inbox if you are signed up to the newsletter. And of course, a huge thanks again to Peter for joining me today. Love, love, loved that conversation. 
and I hope you did too. Also, a big shout out to today's show sponsor, the e-commerce cohort. Remember to check out their free training online at e-commerce site, uh, e-commerce site, that's the old website. Try ecommercecohort.com. Let me get the right website. Uh, come join the membership. Be good to see you in there. Also, be sure to follow e-com- uh, the e-commerce podcast wherever you get your podcast from because we've got some more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, let me be the first. You are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. Peter's got to bear it. I've got to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Now, the e-commerce podcast is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is the fabulous Sadaf Bainon, the beautiful Tanya Hutzelak, and the legend that is Josh Edmondson, who wrote the theme music. As I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, you know where to go ecommercepodcast.net. Sign up for the newsletter. Now that's it from me. That's it from Peter. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you next week. That's it from me. Bye for now.